We're going to start in Mark. Thank you. We're going to start in Mark chapter 1. Yes, we're still in chapter 1. And here's the best part. We're going to do the same passage we did last week because I'm pretty good at overmaking a point. And um, last week, if you missed, uh, we began this conversation of Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee and calling some fishermen to follow him. We had a really cool interview with Maniolo last week. If you missed it, it will be up um, today or tomorrow. Um, and um, there's, just, uh, there's just so much to her story that has to do with what we're talking about. So I'm going to read this. We're going to pray. We're going to get started. All right? As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let me pray. God, this morning, I, uh, my hope, my prayer is for us. Wherever we are on our journey of following you, wherever we are in our searching for what is true, what is what is real, what is life, God, would you bring about in our mind's eye, in our hearts, at the, at the center of who we are, just a, a peace and an understanding that you are drawing us to new things. Maybe it's new, new um, adventures. Maybe it's something we've got to give up. Maybe it's a new way of seeing what it looks like to follow you. Would you bring that to us in this place? Show us what it means to follow you and not just believe in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So here's the thing. I know this is a very familiar passage. I know you've probably read it a number of times. Um, I know it's probably a, a message that brings you a lot of uh, comfort and, oh, that's just neat. I mean, Jesus is hanging out with fishermen, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what it does for you. My hope is today that, um, and this is what happens when we gather. Um, my hope is today that you might learn some new things. Uh, maybe uh, you would be reminded of some things that you've learned before that just kind of fallen out of your life a bit. But maybe you could learn, maybe there's some things you need to unlearn uh, that you and I have kind of brought into this understanding of following Jesus that really aren't meant to be there. And so I want to think about this word, Christian. The word Christian only appears in the New Testament three times. Only three times. And the word disciple, on the other hand, shows up in the New Testament 269 times. Three times, 269 times. And so when we think about the word Christian, for a lot of us, it's like a label. It's like a bucket. It's like a category. It's kind of like a Democrat or a vegan or 
something you use to describe yourself. And the word disciple, on the other hand, is a little different. For some of us, the word Christian actually means believing the right things, believing the right stuff about Jesus. And we think that to be a Christian, you have to believe the right stuff. The word disciple is a a far different word, as we talked about last week. It actually means a student. It means a follower. It means an apprentice of Jesus. And I think that you and I are part of a culture that was created in the West that uses the word Christian. It says you can be a Christian really without being a disciple, meaning you can believe the right stuff about Jesus and still not really follow Jesus. Um, there's this quote by one of my favorite authors. His name is Stanley Hauerwas, and he said this. In the 20th century, generally speaking, Protestant Christians set out to make America Christian and ended up making Christianity American. It just happens. And I think that this is where, for some of us, the unlearning has to happen. In my opinion, the invitation to follow Jesus, the invitation of Jesus, was not believe the right stuff about Jesus, but to believe in the gospel, believe in the kingdom, and not stop there, but to follow Jesus, to apprentice our whole lives under Jesus. And so last week we talked about these different uh, levels of of kind of discipleship and what uh, teaching was back then. And so I encourage you to go back and check that out, especially to hear Maniola's story. But for today, just a few more thoughts on this. Actually, I have five thoughts. So if you're a note taker, five things, get ready. Um, There's no fill in the blanks though. We don't do that here. The first one is this, and this is all from this passage, and it's all from other places in Mark. You have to drop everything to follow Jesus. This is an interesting part of the whole conversation. Verse 18, it says, at once they left their nets and followed him. And then in verse 20, it says, without delay, he called them. They left their father, Zebedee, in the boat and the hired men and followed him. So you, you may not be like... Um, Andrew and Simon and leave your business and have to leave your business to follow him. And you may not be like, sorry, James and John and leave your family and your business and follow Jesus. But trust me, you will have to give up something to follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus is not an addition to everything. It's not like we joke around, but it's not like uh, another shot of espresso in your life. It's not in addition to. And so what, what kind of stuff do we have to drop? I mean, it's not just sin in our lives, but even good things as well. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his, in his book, Cost of Discipleship, we've shared this quote before. When Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and die. That's the idea behind following Jesus. And so we get that from Mark. And then later on, he talks about, uh, Jesus says, if anybody would be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross, like push himself away. Um, And we've had conversations about this before and take up his cross and follow. Now there's stuff we have to die to. 
And it's different for every single one of us. It's completely different for every single one of us. For some of you, it might be your budget. For some of you, it might be your five-year plan. For some of you, it might be um, your view of the world. For some of you, it might be your sexuality. For some of you, it might be um, a relationship or um, a dream you have of the, in the future. For some of you, it might be having to do with um, something very simple right now in your life. But if you are a disciple of Jesus, your whole life is what needs to be at his disposal. And that might sound like something you're not willing to do. And you wouldn't be alone. You wouldn't be alone in that. Um, uh, Mark chapter 10 is another story of Jesus inviting someone to follow him. And we're going to start in verse 21. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. It's the exact same invitation that he gave the, the other disciples. He, but this time, this guy, because this guy is rich, he has an obstacle in his life. It's not just his wealth, but it's his status and his family, and there's so much wrapped up in it. And in verse 22, it says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Basically, it says he said no. He says no. And skip down to verse 28. It says, then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. you Gotta love Peter. Like his timing is amazing, right? Um, they walk away. It's just the disciples. And they're like, well, hey, Jesus, we left everything. And Peter, Jesus' reply to Peter is, truly, I tell you, no one, has no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me, and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. Don't forget that part. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last will be first. I love Jesus' honesty here. He's saying, listen, you have to give up everything, and it will be difficult. And it will be worth it, he says. I read a, a book by a guy named John Tyson, uh, who's a pastor out in New York. And he, he wrote this uh, little bit in here that I thought it was interesting. He said, to be invited by Jesus to be a disciple is to be invited out of mediocrity. You're invited into the kingdom of God. You go from fish to men. You go from a couple of dollars to a kingdom. So Jesus' invitation is always for something greater for our hearts. It's always for something better. And, and even um, and sometimes we just, don't, we just don't believe it. We don't trust it. But it's always for something greater. Whatever it is that you have to give up, sin or not, Jesus is always greater. Um, I think about Manuela's story last week and so much that she gave up and some difficult stuff in the life of her family that ended up coming around, like God restored so much of that. 
And it's different for us in different seasons of our life. I can think back on my life in difficult times of, of questioning what God's will was for us next as a family and, and in my life. And, and, and there's always something new and different in different seasons of our life. Um, Jesus is calling on your life. What do you have to give up to follow Jesus? Second thing, if you're taking notes, but you don't have to be, is this. Think about the cost of not following Jesus. Think about that cost. I mean, think about the cost of non-discipleship. Um, Mark chapter 10 says the same thing. I mean, it was, like I said earlier, it's the same invitation as the fisherman got. And yet he says no, and there's this juxtaposition between the two. This guy in Mark 10 is nameless. We don't know his name. He just kind of goes off into to obscurity. But we know Andrew. We know James. We know Peter. We know what happened to them. And I think it's a really good thing. Trust me, it's a really good to think Think, thing to think about what we give up, what we have to deny in our lives to follow Jesus. And I think that's super important. But it's also just as important to think about all the things that you have to miss out on if you don't follow Jesus. And I think that's a huge part of this conversation. Check out Mark chapter 8. It says, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So here's the deal. It is true. You have to give up a lot to follow Jesus. But the caveat is you have to give up even more to not follow Jesus. There is something you miss out on in this adventure of following Jesus that you cannot even imagine, that can't even be quantified. And I just think that whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're wrestling with in your life that is keeping you, is holding you back from really following Jesus, not just believing Jesus, but actually following him, Whatever that is, trust me, Jesus is better. It is as difficult as it might sound to put that down. There is so much life and purpose and joy and, and in the midst of whatever suffering you think it's going to be to give that up. There's so much ahead of you with that. The third thing is, is this is going to sound like, oh man, this is Ryan's little soapbox. But following Jesus happens in community. That's the only place it happens. And we have conversations about this all, literally all the time about, around here. Dan and I, when we get together, we talk about this in some form or fashion all the time. And, and I just wanna tell you, I'm horrible at community. I'm, I wanna be better at it. I want to push into that. I, I think that we're all somehow averse to community. 
We want it and we don't want it. We kind of do this all the time with people in our lives. It's not an accident that Jesus calls two sets of brothers to form this nucleus of a group of, of the disciples. And, and, and they would one day really the, be the, the, the people that take off and take this message out and form uh, communities all over the place. Mark chapter three, it says, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, hey, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And he uses this as a teaching moment. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. See, for Jesus, the church is a family. It's a family of people. Um, notice how he doesn't mention fathers. Is he bagging fathers? This isn't a Father's Day message right here. It's, he's not bagging dads. He's just talking about how God is father and we're all adopted into God's family and we're all brothers and sisters and mothers and and one of the things that we feel around here really passionately about is we're, we're really serious about those who are far from God, but we're actually just as serious about those who are far from the family of God. Because if you believe in Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, to do so on your own is literally impossible. And it, at best, your growth is stunted. But when you get around others and you start mixing it up with people and getting to know people and hurting each other's feelings and having to clean up messes and, and caring for each other and, and picking each other up when they're going through something hard and, and, and challenging each other and doing something together as a community, um, I just want you to know you can't follow Jesus alone. And I say it all the time, and here's the thing. Many of you are trying to prove me wrong. And you're like, oh, yeah? I'll just listen to podcasts and read books. That's believing in Jesus. You can try, but you're not going to move forward. I, I, I couldn't find the quote, which is a really sad thing for me. But there's, uh, someone had mentioned this, and I'm trying to remember who it was, and it says, your, they basically said, your idea of community, your like little platonic version of a perfect community is actually keeping you from experiencing community. It has this way of like, that's not how it's supposed to be, or it's supposed to be more like this. That actual functioning in our lives actually keeps us from actually being in community with people. Because we're already like telling in our mind's eye, well, this isn't really community yet. Community is a mindset. This gathering on Sunday morning is not like the perfect place for community, right? We're all seated in rows. We're, we do our best to be in a round so you can at least see each other. Those brave ones that are on these sides, you know, see each other. Uh, that's not community, though. Yeah, you're going to grab a donut afterwards maybe and say hi to someone. That's still not community. But it can be the beginnings of something. 
It's all about your mindset. If you show up here on Sunday morning and you're just like, yeah, I'm going to say hi to a couple people. I'm going to hope my kid doesn't bite another kid. And then it happens. Or an adult's not going to bite another adult. That would be weird. But we'll deal with it. In community. But if you, your mindset is, I'm just going to show up. I'm just going to do my once a month thing. I'm going to bang in here. Hopefully... He's funny, and then I'm going to leave. I'm going to get onto my Sunday. I got Costco. I got Bed Bath & Beyond. I'm going to hit this up. I'm going to do some laundry, and we're, we're on our way. That's not the mindset I'm looking for. The mindset I'm hoping that we all begin to have is I, I'm, I'm coming to give. I'm coming to pursue. I'm coming to, uh, to chase people down, to be in their life, to know them. And I know for you introverts, that freaks you out, but you are who we need the most because you think deeply and, and we need you to, to be courageous and we need you extroverts like me to stop talking about surface level things. That's what I do. For Jesus, discipleship happens in a family. Notice that nowhere in scripture is Jesus alone with one disciple one-on-one. He's never like, hey, let's sneak off and grab some coffee. No, they're always dealing with it. He might be having a conversation with Peter one-on-one, but everybody's there. He's, He's, and this is a group of guys that have nothing in common. In fact, they hate each other before this. You have zealots, you have a tax collector, you have brothers, ever met those before? They're always trying to one-up each other. Um, And so here's my thing for you. If you want to follow Jesus and not just believe in Jesus, then you have to come out of your shell and do life with other followers of Jesus. And I know it's hard, and I know when you look at your schedule, you're like, there's no way. But with all due respect, community is a mindset. It has to be a mindset. And our job here at this church is not to coerce you. It's just to open up opportunities for you um, to do that. And we have found life in following Jesus in community. For some of you, it just means opening up your table, inviting someone over for dinner or lunch. It's snowing outside. Go somewhere together. Point number four, if you're tracking, this is most of the way through. Point number four, to become like your rabbi Jesus, it takes time. You and I live in an age where there's an app for everything. And we want to microwave this process. And we want to get to the good stuff. But this is the good stuff. Jesus says, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people A closer reading to the actual organization of the Greek word says this, I want to make you become fishers of people. Notice that word become. Become isn't an instantaneous word. It is a process of of life, becoming uh, fishers of people. And and discipleship is not a one-time event. It's not a retreat. It's not the finish of a book. It is, it is not a one-time event. And for the 12, it was super slow and painful. 
really slow and painful. They would ask dumb questions and get into trouble all the time. Don't believe me? Mark 8 says, The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. So, you know, the 12 of them are probably like, did you bring it? No, did you? They're probably blaming each other. Jesus uses this as a teaching moment. He says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, is this because we have no bread? (laughs) You can imagine, right? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand, see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Have you ever felt like an idiot sometimes? Like in following Jesus? You just kind of feel like an idiot? Like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Like... I just, I don't get why this is in scripture. I don't know what this means. What is God doing with my life? What is happening? I thought that if I did this and this and this, that that I would have, I would know God's will for my life. Here's the thing. It's not a linear thing. It's not a linear thing. These disciples are following Jesus for three years and they, most of the time they don't get it. They're freaking out half the time. Check out, check out Mark chapter 10. I love this. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. This is another great word for confused. <laughs> While those who followed were afraid. Again, he, told the 12, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So this is heavy stuff. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's talking to the disciples. He's like, this is what is about to happen. Verse 35, then James and John, sons of Zebedee, remember those guys, fishermen, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I mean, think about the timing of this. He just tells them all that's about to happen to him. And they're like, hey, we got a request What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let us, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. He's like, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can. They answered. He says, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. So in following Jesus, let me ask you a few, few questions. Have you ever been tripped up by your own ego? Right? Have you ever gotten your own way? Have you ever made following Jesus more about you than about Jesus? 
If you're founded as more about you and your self-help than about Jesus and his kingdom vision for the world, here's the thing. If so, you're not alone. You know why? Because you're a disciple of Jesus. We screw things up too. We get different expectations in our lives as well. We're no different than these fishermen from Galilee. And then there's this great passage in Mark 14. There's been a confrontation in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter pulls a knife, (laughs) pulls a shiv. Jesus says, "Am am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. And, and here's the next part. This is, a lot of times we forget this part. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. <laughs> like, who does that, right? I'm just going to put this on. I really shouldn't have included that verse. It doesn't bring any, the point of the whole thing. It was, there was a naked in it. So I thought, it's Sunday. Then everyone deserted him and fled. After three years, Jesus and the disciples, and there's a bigger group than just the 12. After three years and the teaching and the, And the community and all the trust and all of that stuff, God in Jesus on earth, everyone deserted him and fled. Have you ever felt like quitting? Have you ever felt that the cost is too high? Have you ever felt it's too dangerous? Have you ever felt, have you ever deserted Jesus and fled? You're not alone. You're a disciple of Jesus. And I hope this is encouraging to you today in kind of a twisted way. I I really do. I I hope seeing the disciples in action, I hope this whole idea of count the cost and deny yourself, all that stuff, super important. But in the life of a disciple, three years I hope you can find some grace for yourself. Story after story. You can become a disciple of Jesus overnight, but it takes a lifetime to become like your teacher. It takes a lifetime of cleaning up your messes, forgiving others. It takes a lifetime of of dealing with sadness and pain It takes a lifetime of continuing to look at places in your life that need to go in order for you to follow Jesus. Has anybody in here ever struggled with stuff for months and even years and you feel like you move forward a little bit and then you move back a little bit then you move forward a little bit more and you move back a little bit more? And sometimes in our lives, we say things under our breath, or we say things out loud even. We say things like, well, this is just how I'm wired. 
This is just how I'm wired. This is, this is never going to change. Or this is just how my marriage is. And we have these kind of fatalistic things that we say. And I just want to encourage you today that Jesus is back from the dead. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, according to the scriptures. And as Trent said, sitting at, standing up here, that this idea that being filled with the spirit means that it's like a party going on inside. And it's like, everything's fine, and I feel like joy all the time. That's not what Jesus said. Being filled with the Spirit actually gives us the ability to do the things that Jesus said we can do, that he did. And that's entering very difficult situations. That's healing people. That is sitting with people. That is going to the margins of the society that we live in and being Jesus. The tomb is empty. Do you believe that? So, so my encouragement to you is that moving forward, giving yourself grace is part of this process and it takes time. And the last one is this. Apprentices make apprentices. That's what this is. Mark chapter 16, this won't be on the screen, but it says, Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That was kind of Jesus's marching orders at the end of Mark. Matthew's gospel is where we get really into it, okay? Matthew's gospel is, in, in, in chapter 28, is this, this go and make disciples of all nations. And this is this grand, you know, moment in Matthew's um, gospel about Jesus. And he, meaning to call people to follow Jesus, not just believe in Jesus. Dallas Willard puts it like this, make disciples, not converts. This is um, a super, super important thing to me, especially in this day and age, where being a Christian isn't cool, and, and a, a lot of our world is very skeptical of Christianity, and what the church has been about and not about. I don't think Jesus uh, is looking for people who believe in him and convince others to believe in him. I really don't. I think Jesus is looking for followers to invite others into a life of following Jesus. And calling people to follow Jesus is an enormous responsibility, and it's a great one. And some of you are called to move all over the world and the country to do that. But many of us are called kind of right where we're at, in your place of work, in your life, in your neighborhood, to be that kind of a person. Now, there's a lot of talk about discipleship in the church. Um, not all of this talk is in line with Scripture. I think there's really quick to finish, there's three myths of discipleship in the church. Uh, the first one is this, that a disciple is a mature Christian. When did Peter become a follower of Jesus? The moment he dropped his net. The moment he dropped his net. 
He didn't become a disciple of Jesus when he figured out why he was following Jesus and who Jesus was. He didn't figure it out like when he got the Holy Spirit, you know, in, in the story of Acts. No, he was a disciple of Jesus the moment he dropped his net. Did he know everything? No. Was Peter mature? No. In fact, we have Peter being kind of immature later on in the story of Acts. He has an argument with Paul, and there's just like, there's some immaturity there. And so it's true over time, you will become mature. But if you're here and you just started to drop your nets, you are still a disciple of Jesus. We're all on that journey. The second myth of discipleship is that discipleship is mentorship. And this is something, oh, we love this. In, in American churches, we're like, oh, who, who's, who's your mentor, you know? And we do this thing where we get coffee with people. That's not discipleship. That's coffee. That's encouraging each other. That's, uh, you know, uh, helping each other. That's like uh, reading scripture. That's all good stuff. That's not discipleship. And please listen, your goal is to become like Jesus, not the person you're having coffee with, right? I have some mentors in my life, people, oh man, Kurt Holm, a guy named Doug Stevens, and, and on and on and on, great men that have like helped shape me in my life. But scripture never says to become like them. This has become like your rabbi, Jesus. These are all helpers along the way. And the last one, this, was gonna, this one might rustle some feathers, but that's what I'm here for. Another myth of discipleship is that disciple is a verb. People ask me this all the time, and I make people so mad. Who are you discipling? And I say, Nobody. And they're like, well, shouldn't you be? Because you're a pastor. I'm like, well, that's if you read the word disciple as a verb. It's not. Not one time, 269 times in the New Testament is the word disciple a verb. It is a noun. So <laughs> if you think, see, it's, it's not something you do. You don't disciple somebody. It's someone you are. And in my theology, I cannot disciple anyone. It would be like me saying, um, who are you Christianing? Who are you believering? Who are you followering? Right? It's just, that's not how the word's supposed to be. And you're probably going, well, Ryan, you're just kind of like being semantic and being cute with it. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Um, but if you think the, uh, of the word disciple as a verb, then you will think of discipleship as something that you do to somebody else or that somebody, something that somebody does to you. Right? And then the responsibility is always on someone else. It's my pastor's job to disciple me. It's my church's job to disciple me. 
I mean, how many people, listen, in Denver, the statistics are this. 97% of church growth is people going from one church to another. 97%. So when you see some church blow up, you know what that means? Other churches are, that's all that means. And you know why? Because many people think this. It's my church's job to disciple me, to make me a better follower of Jesus. It's my pastor's job to make me a better follower of Jesus. It's this book's job. Right? But if you think of disciple as a noun, as someone as a noun, like I am a disciple, I'm a follower of Jesus with a whole bunch of other followers of Jesus, then the responsibility is for you to drop your net, right? It's for you to push in. Sure, here's the thing. A mentor will help you. Coffee with someone who's further down the road will help you. A book will help. 12 weeks of this, a two-part teaching on the same scripture will totally, I mean, walk out the door, you're done. You have to drop your net. You have to. No one can make you do it. No one, Jesus could not make the rich man sell all his possessions. And Jesus was sad because he loved him. May you not see yourself as a believer. May you see yourself as a follower, a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus.